Hello once more, two true freaks. I got in touch with your... boss... Demonzo. And he has sent me women. Many, many women to my terror drum. I do not need women. I need men. I need men who can fire guns and drive hiss tanks and other things of this nature. I do not need scantily clad women parading around the terror drum. We had the Baroness. That was enough. That was the whole point of this whole organization. Was no girls. He won't answer his phone. He won't return my calls. You've got to tell him this. I cannot have all these women parading around the terror drum. It's driving the vipers insane, okay? Insane. And I cannot deal with this. Anyway, uh, good show this month. I, I like the... That one you did. Um. Karma Commander out! Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle station! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands, battle station. Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday. This is Star Trek Monthly Monday number 34, and I am Chris Honeywell, and I am here with my best Star Trek buddy, Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, uh, you see how we talk in Star Trek talk, too, you know, to make it even more nerdy, this show? <laughs> I don't think do I ever heard anybody say, "Hey, how's it going in Star Trek?" Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, we've we've already we've already discussed how we are not going to bring the show in with you know, live long and prosper, Mister Honeywell. What was the other one? Is it like go in peace and there's something like peace and long life, peace and long life, or something like that? Yeah, screw that. We, <laughs> we reach, we reach, brother. Although I do, I do find myself saying we reach, brother, quite a bit lately. Yeah, well, that one's goofy, but, though. Uh, that's why. Well, you know. <laughs> 
you know, well, all my life I've had to put up with the with the beam me up, Scott. I've got this guy at work. He's a nice guy. He's an older guy. He's probably in his mid to late sixties. Real nice guy, but he does the whole beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> you know, like like I've never heard this in my life before. And it's like, yeah, I'm like, great. You know, thanks. Ha ha. You know, and it's like, oh God. You know. So yeah. <laughs> I hope he's listening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I doubt it. Um, but yeah, hi, how's it going? Good. It's uh, it's been a long. Uh, it's been like a, a couple weeks since we've done a podcast, actually. God, it is. It is. It's been that end of the summer vacation time cramming. I've had to cram. I've I've had to, I had to cram in. I had to end up uh, helping someone move and stuff like that, and sell a lot of eBay. eBay's it's the dead part. De- dead time of ebay and so i've been spending a lot of time just paying the rent but it's about to become the great time of ebay very soon so i'm looking (laughs) forward to that um yeah so um this is the this is the old school original season star trek part of our star trek monthly monday and for those of you who are new we have two star trek monthly mondays every month normally last month was a special Star Trek Five commentary month, but um, that was that was a lot of fun. That too. was I a had, lot of fun. I had a good time doing that, and um, so there's there's this episode where we'll be talking about an episode of of the original series of Star Trek, and then we'll be usually talking about the DC comics. We got a special one this month, and then there's a whole other separate podcast dedicated to the Next Generation where we'll do two episodes and if you go listen to that you'll find out what two episodes we're doing so there i guess i got everybody caught up it if they're <laughs> new and everybody bored if they are been on board for 33 <laughs> episodes well it's basically you know we we got we got old school trek in one and we got the newer stuff in the other one which it's it's primarily next generation but i i will actually have a little bit of uh of other future star trek stuff in the in the other show oh, if that cool. makes any sense whatsoever it does to me but i think i know where you're going with it they have probably have no idea <laughs> we like but, keeping uh, the listeners in the dark till the very last second <laughs> everything on star trek monthly monday is on a need to know basis so i figured i've got just a little bit of star trek news Sure. This month, and I'll get it over with because I know you've had some Star Trek happening in spades around yes. here. Yes. So. so I've been i I haven't been really rummaging rummage sale in two years now. You know, now if I go buy one on my bike, I'll stop at it, but not organized garage sale. I've been in the selling phase, but I went by a church garage sale, and church garage sales are great because books are always cheap at church garage sales. They're always like $0.25 cents for hardcovers and $0.10 cents for soft covers. So um, I got two soft covers and a hardcover. So that was a, a whole $0.45 cents worth of Star Trek books. And uh, the first one is a, if, if we go in, I'm going to say chronological order, and hope I get it right, but this one definitely is the earliest one. It's uh, it's from the seventies. Yeah, let's see. I would I would say probably what seventy seven or so, seventy eight. It's called the Starless World by Gordon Eklund, and it's got a be- It's a paperback. It's got a beautiful painted cover of the Enterprise 
like flying into this circular orb with a sort of a sun and a couple moons and a bunch of plots of land and clouds laid out in front of it. It's kind of neat. And apparently it involves Klingons. And the other one is Sweet. is one that has been being talked about, or at least the Shatnerverse has been being talked about on our forum a lot lately. And uh, so I've got The Return, a novel Aww. by William Shatner. And that's the hardcover one I've got. That is my favorite Star Trek book. So I, I, you got you got to read that. Let read me know it. when you start digging into that, and I'll I'll reread it, and we'll we'll do a show about it because I love that book, and I have a feeling that you would really really enjoy it because I think if you approach that book as if it was, um, in the spirit of say like the Enemy Within, where it's just total Shatner Kirk centric over the topness. You know, but but in an awesome way, then I think you'll you'll get what do you the mean, spirit. But that in it was an intended. awesome way, <laughs> how can well, it you, not you know what be I mean. in an awesome way? Yeah, well, you know, you know, a lot of people will you know roll their eyes yeah, you know, when, when Shatner really gets let loose. But you know, you and I grew up where you know that was what we looked for in Star Trek yes. was you know the the more Kirk over the top, the more the awesome Kraken. it was. Yes, you know? exactly, and that's <laughs> that's what this book is: is that it's it's you know releasing Kirk into. You know, Next the gen. 24th century to play, you know, <laughs> and he just outshines everybody. Of course you know? he does, because he wrote the book. I mean, he basically walks in and, like, just shoves Picard the hell out of the way and takes over the universe, and it's great, <laughs> and it's exactly what I always wanted to see happen on Next Gen. It's almost he like fan, walks it's almost like says, fan okay, fiction, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. He basically walks in and he's like, okay, you can just go sit down now. Kirk's here. <laughs> Watch let, and learn. Let, let daddy take Watch over. Watch and learn, Baldy. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Well, actually, I got another hardcover and it's not here, but th- this just reminded me of it because you told me when I was telling you about it, you'll probably know the title of it, is the one that you said leads right into this book. Ashes of Eden. Ashes of Eden. I've got that one, too. And then that's an oh. interesting book because that kicks off the Shatner verse. And that book basically it, it, it takes place between um, the end of Star Trek six and the beginning of the Kirk sequence of generations. It kind of sets ah. up the whole the whole thing. But I, it was I didn't think it was a great book. It's just interesting. But what's really cool is the ending of that book leads directly into the return. So you don't have to read it but if you do then it kind of it kind of shades it in a little bit the transition yeah yeah exactly and then the third one is a is a paperback but it's hardcover size and it's just huge it's got to be 700 800 pages no it's a close to a grand and it's called uh star trek invasion and it looks like it involves all it looks like it's got um Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Next Generation, and Old School in it. Right. And uh, it, so, it, it, oh, it was obviously a, a series of books because it's like a best-selling series complete in one volume. Yes, First Strike, Soldiers of Fear, Time's Enemy, and The Final Fury. And so there's four of them. I'm betting that it's probably split up between a story from all the, you know, it's it's a story through all these, you know, each one is right. probably set in a different Star Trek universe. But I right. got a lot of Star Trek to read. 
honestly, the one I, I I'm looking forward to the return. I the Starless Void. I'm also looking forward to because I love that stuff from that time period. Because right. this comes from the hungry times of Star Trek, you know, when all you had was a TV show, and if you were lucky to be near a convention, maybe a convention or something, but this is all you got, you know, and a comic book here and there. So I love the I love those books. They're usually written by somebody who is really invested in it. And they're usually a little cheesy around the edges, which I like. Yeah, they're usually cheesy, and sometimes they can be damn strange. Because I remember uh, two that I always liked were the Phoenix books. It was like, what was it? It was like Price of the Phoenix and Fate of the Phoenix, I think was the name. I remember seeing those at your house. Yeah. Starts off with, like, Kirk dies. That's how the book starts. And I was like, damn. You know, so right off the bat, you know you're in for a ride, you know. But it's weird. At some point in all my moves, the only thing that I, I know for a fact that I've ever lost or misplaced in any of our moves is at some point, um, all of my books from that particular Star Trek era, they all disappeared. You know, it's like I have all the, the later ones that were put out by... You probably put them all in the same box and then that box yeah. got misplaced somehow. Exactly. Yeah. So all of my older, uh. you know ones from that from that period you know so like starless i love the covers you know, on those World ones too. whatever and the phoenix books and spock must die and mm. spock messiah all those uh, they all got they all got disappeared i don't have any idea where they are spock must die is one of my f- i i've never read it but i've always just loved the idea of that book because it was one you'd always see it in comic books and stuff it was always being advertised as you yeah. know something you could mail order and it always looked Ah, uh, you know, that sounded exciting, you know, mm-hmm. and it featured Spock, which, you know, meant a lot back then. <laughs> but yeah, I am, I am Star Trek booked up and, uh, and ready to go. Ah, the, the four part one, who knows if I'll ever get to that, but the return, definitely, I, you know, I, I've got, um, William Shatner's Star Trek memories by the side of my bed too. To, to read as I drift off to sleep so I could shat, I could Shatner myself to sleep for the <laughs> next couple weeks here Shatner off to <laughs> slumberland <laughs> lullaby well. lullaby <laughs> now go to sleep alright so you have some Star Trek uh, to, to tell them about don't you I do. Well, first of all, I want to throw out a quick shout out because I don't think that uh, that we have done this on the show yet, and I definitely wanted to make sure that uh, that big thanks were thrown out to uh, Steve J. Rogers, who posted a for uh, thread up on our forum. It's called uh, "List of Star Trek Episodes Done During Star Trek Monthly Mondays," and he compiled an entire list of all of the episodes that we have covered so mar- so far. Um, I was going to say on the show, but actually we, we were just discussing off here just before we started that um, the list is actually missing one thing. But the way he compiled the list is that these were Star Trek episodes that we covered on actual Star a Trek numbered monthly, monthly Monday Mondays. episode. Yeah, numbered episode. Exactly. So there was one episode I had on my list that I was crossed off that I was like, that's weird. I don't see it. And then we got to realizing why. But anyway... I really th- uh, wanted to thank Steve for this because uh, you know it, it took time to compile this list. It's something I've been too lazy to do myself. And it's so going to come in really handy. 
Yeah, really, really handy. So it was, you know, I used it to double check my own list and actually caught a number of things that I had forgotten to cross off. But the one that I noticed that I had crossed off on my own list that isn't on this one is the episode Space Seed. And I was like, now I know we've done Space Seed. Well, what it was was when uh, Ricardo Montalban died a while back. What was that? About a year and a half ago, yeah. I think. Maybe two years it was ago. Closer at this to point. two years ago, yeah. We did a special. And we covered Space Seed and um, Star Trek Two, so that was not a numbered Star Trek Monthly Monday. It was a you know just a one-off special, but that was the only thing that that wasn't you know to my recollection anyway. That's the only one that's not on this list. But again, that's not well. That you know, you know I mean, yeah, and it could be, and and hopefully, the, if the people who are catching on or coming in late, you know. Um, when, when it, someday we've covered all the movies and covered all the TV shows for the people who go, wait, <laughs> where was uh, Space Seed and Wrath of Khan? It's out right. there. It's in a it's in an episode called Montalban. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> that's right. That was a lot of fun. I think we had uh, who do we have on for that? We had a special guest on. That yes, we did. I, it was. It was probably either it was either Chris Gallo or Shag, I think. It might or it might have no, been Mike. No, no. It might have been Mike um, Bailey. No, no. I have to look it up. I can't remember. I can't remember. It wasn't. No, it wasn't I any of those remember. guys. I can't remember. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, moving on. But anyway, I, I, thank you, Steve. I really do appreciate you doing that, taking the time to, to post that up. Buddy, yeah, we'll, that, we'll uh, be using it this show. <laughs> we'll be using that. Um, that sh- when we pick at the end almost immediately as soon as our uh, Star Trek 5 commentary went up I believe oh God, I, I want to give credit where credit's due and now I've, I've failed to make a note of this so I may not be getting this right but I believe it was Mike Petit um, who called my attention to this and I felt like a world class dumbass when I got called out for this <laughs> One of the things I kept harping about during our Star Trek V commentary was how, you know, the Star Trek V, you know, the full score really needs a full release and all that. And, you know, they really need to get off it their asses. Mike and it. yes. It's been out for like a year and a half, and I had no idea <laughs> that it had actually been released. It was a two-disc release from, I believe, La La Land put it out, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, it has been out for quite a while. So, you know, I immediately ran out and got myself one, and it's great, and I felt like such an idiot that I didn't even know that it was out, you know? Because I really try to stay abreast of these things, you know, both as a Star Trek fan and a, and a film score collector. And it's so one you've like, been waiting for. and you know. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know how it slipped past me, but it did. It completely slipped past me, but uh, I'm glad to own one now, and it is really, really good, so I highly recommend it. Um, you know, track that down and, and get yourself a copy because it is really, really a fantastic. It's everything I wanted out of that score, and uh, it, it is. It's a great. You know, whether you like the movie or you hate the movie, the score is fantastic. Well, yeah, so, yeah, it's it's one of the better ones. So, really glad to have that. You know, it's by Jerry Goldsmith and everything. So, but again, you know, thank thank you. Um, I'm pretty sure that was Mike Petit that pointed that out. So thanks, Mike, if if it was you that pointed it was, that out. It was. I remember. I do remember. I can't believe that that completely escaped my notice, but oh well, these things happen. Then again, that might have been right around the time when I had moved and everything was going on, so maybe that's how it slipped. I don't know. Now I'm just making excuses. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You can grasp at straws (laughs) all you want, but 
There we go. The, the fact of the matter is you got it now, so. Exactly. Well, the big thing that I really wanted to talk about in the uh, in the preamble for this episode, you know, seeing as how we're, we're back to our regular format and we're talking about uh, old school Trek this episode, I had an opportunity to do something, um, actually a, a number of, of things, you know, a, no, a number of, of real geek out things, but something I have been wanting to do for a long, long time, just as a fan of you know, of early space flight, you know, say like uh, Mercury through Apollo, you know, when, whenever we used to come down to Florida on vacation or what. And now, especially, you know, since I've lived here, I, you know, been here a year now, we actually just passed uh, the year anniversary on, uh, on living, you know, in our, in our house where we live now. But one of the things that I've been wanting to do for, for quite some time is get out to the Kennedy Space Center. You know, again, you know, just being a fan of of early space flight, you know, I've always wanted to get out there. You know, I know that they have the, you know an astronaut museum out there and just all the stuff that's that's involved with Kennedy, the history of the place and all that. Always wanted to see it. Just never could seem to find the time or make the time to to get out there. Well, recently they had an event going on out there. It was um, it was called the. Uh, uh, I think it was Sci-Fi Summer. Yeah, Sci-Fi Summer was the name of the event, focusing primarily on Star Trek. Of course. And I was like, come on. You know, you marry up, you know, the space program, you know, especially the, you know, the early space program with Star Trek, particularly classic Star Trek. I'm so there for that. Well, NASA and classic so- Star Trek have always worked together, kind of, you know. Oh, very, yeah, very much so. Very much so. So, you know, um, I've been wanting to do this. And again, it had just come down to a a matter of time and money and everything else. Well, this past, uh, by the time you're hearing this, um, for you guys, this have been about a week and a half ago. For me, this was just a few days ago as we record this. But um, I'm on vacation for a few days, finally. Yay, vacation! (laughs) So one of the things I had really planned to do was, was finally get out there and get this done. And I got to looking at their website and realized that this was ending on September 5th. So I was like, well, if I'm ever going to do this, I got to, you know, I got to get out there and get it done. So I went down, uh, this was on Saturday, whatever day Saturday was. Let me see. That would have been the third Saturday, the third of September. And, uh, I went and I took my youngest with me, Logan, and it was just the two of us. And we went down to check this thing out. And I really did not know what to expect um, I had talked to a couple of guys that I work with who are Star Trek fans, and they had been there, and they raved about it. They were like, "Dude, you're gonna love this. You know, you know, if you're into Star Trek, you know, you're gonna totally geek out. There's so much cool stuff to do. There's so much Star Trek stuff and everything." But again, I wasn't really sure exactly what to expect out of it, and so we went in, and it was cool. We we got there way early. My GPS had told me that the thing was going to take like something like an hour and twenty minutes to get to. I was there in like forty minutes. Lead foot. Oh well, yes, I am, but <laughs> not that much. I mean, I really you know amazed me how fast that we got there compared to you know what the the GPS had told me it was going to take. But you know, the ride was no problem at all. It's actually not far at all from where I live. So we got down there, and the place is just. You know, it's really cool. There's all kinds of, you know, there's like a shuttle mock-up out in front of the place and everything. So we got there bright and early, and it was supposed to open up at 9 o'clock. So we got there, and there's like nobody there. 
And uh, on the drive in, you can actually see way off in the distance on the horizon, the vehicle assembly building, which is something I have always wanted to see, you know? So that was really cool to be, finally be able to see that, you know, even though it was way off in the distance and everything. And, you know, they had mock-ups of the shuttle and mock-ups of like, you know, the booster rockets and everything like that. And then as you come in, the main ticketing area was made up to look kind of like, it's kind of like the International Space Station where it had like these big solar panels and like, you know, astronauts on top of it and everything like that. It was really just cool looking. Then, you know, so we got in, we were among the first people there, parked in the very first row, like the fifth spot. So, I mean, there was like nobody there, you know? I mean, it was really just, really just a handful of us. We had the run of the place all to ourselves. So we go in, and and at first there's really very little Star Trek stuff at all to see in, you know, in the in the main lobby. It was all like advertisements for stuff that you could go see there, but there weren't like displays or anything. So we walked around. They had like a like a rocket museum outside, you know, with all these you know actual rockets and actual space vehicles and different displays and everything. We were walking around looking at all that stuff, and uh, and I started to just get this really like. It was weird. It was like a real melancholy feel when it hit me that, you know, this was now all history, right? Oh, the shuttle program has just ended, you know, so that this wasn't, this was no longer going and looking at something that was like, you know, see where we're going. Right. This was like, right. see what you we can't see the prototype of the new shuttle there. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I really started to, to kind of feel like, almost depressed and it was like man i hope i have not made a mistake coming here you know so the first building we decided to go to was uh i because well, i had plus seen it nobody's as there too that's sad in itself yeah, it was over labor was day real, weekend yeah it, it, it was you know it was this feeling like wow you know this place is really really dead and so the first building um you know, I had seen it from a distance as we were coming in. It was called Early Space Flight Exploration. And on the outside, you know, it was done in like a very like 50s, you know, gaudy type of display on the front, which I'm a sucker for that right, sort of right. thing, you know. And on the front of the building was a picture of the Mercury 7. And I was like, all right, I want to start there. I want to go check that out. So we're walking over there and I'm taking pictures on the outside. You know, it's, like I say, there's this great mural on the outside of the, of the Mercury 7 and everything, which to me... The Mercury 7, in my opinion, this is as close as you can get real life to something like, say, like the Justice League. You know what I mean? These were real life superheroes, for lack of a better term. I mean, but these guys really lived and did incredible things in their lifetime. So that was really neat to see. So I decided, all right, we're going to go in. We're going to check this out. We walk into the lobby. And what is in the main lobby? Kirk's admiral uniform from star trek the motion picture probably my no actually there's no probably about it my favorite star trek outfit of all of them you know kirk's admiral outfit and i mean you know star trek the motion picture is my favorite star trek movie and everything and here you know it's it's the actual i mean this isn't like a mock-up or something this is like the actual one juice on it yeah exactly so that totally changes. Okay, I know I'm going to love this. You know, this is going to be awesome. So we go and I get pictures with that. And we go into uh, the space flight thing. And 
right in the beginning, there's like all these different tributes to uh, you know to guys like Robert Goddard and uh, and Shilkovsky and Werner von Braun, and there was a, a display of just like all this different memorabilia. You know, they had like collectible cards and coloring books and time you know Time Life magazine and just all these different things. Viewmasters. They had oh get this Chris. They had this wasn't an original. Um, but it was a, I mean, a perfect replica of the robot from Lost in Space was there. Robbie. Was it the? No, it wasn't Robbie. The, see, that's what I thought too. I because I always get those two confused, hmm. but they're actually two different robots. See, I, the ro- I'm pretty was sh- the one from. I'm pretty sure what's that? The Lost in Space robot was. They took the original Robbie and they took his head off him, and they attached. He was Robbie. With. Different, but he was the basic, you know, actual body of Robbie the robot, and they put like different, different wheel. I th- didn't he have wheels on him in Lost he in Space? Have see, see, I had thought that, and then I got to doubting myself because I've read, you know, two different things. Is that one's like saying what you're saying that they were essentially the same with just a few different parts, and then. Other things that are saying no, that they're frequently confused with each other, but they're actually two different ones. So I, you know, I won't profess to be an expert one way or the other, but I do think they look a hell of a lot alike. Yeah. And I had even pointed it out to Logan as we were walking in. I was like, "Hey, that's Robbie the robot." And then when I walked over to it, I realized that it said on it, you know, that it was the the robot, not Robbie the robot. So I thought that was pretty cool. But just all this incredible stuff in there. They had, you know, a mock-up of like, you know, Mission Control Center, and you know, the uh, they had actual uh, suits, you know, again worn by the actual astronauts. They had like uh, Gordo Cooper's uh, suit when he was a Mercury astronaut. They had actual capsules, you know, that, that had actually flown on these these yeah. different missions. It's really cool. They have them in. Hey, it reminded me of like those those hard plastic shells they put comics in after they've been graded by the CGC, you know? Uh-huh. Shells that are around the, the capsules to, like, perf- perfectly preserve them, you know, so you couldn't, you know, mess with them or mess them up or anything. <laughs> but it was really neat. All this cool stuff. So we went around, you know, that whole thing. And then from there it was like, okay, it's time to actually go, you know, see the, some of the Star Trek stuff. So we walked over to one of the, the show buildings... And it was where they were supposed to have some sort of like interactive Star Trek type of show, um, but it only had like set show times during the day, and it was like several hours away yet before they were going to do it. But the guy let us in early just to look around in the lobby area. So we're walking down the hallway, and on one side, again, they had the real deal. They had Shatner's command uniform from the original series oh. on display. And I was like, holy cow. Now, I had always heard that Shatner actually is really, really short in real life. Yes. So I went over and I stood next to the thing. I would tower over William Shatner in real life. He is actually very short, you know, based on this uniform that they had on display. Well, then next to that, in another glass case, they had this uniform. And I was looking at it and Logan asked me, he's like, what is that one supposed to be? And I was like, I don't know. I said, I, if, if, I said, it's just a guess, but I think that's the outfit worn by the first Klingon woman they ever showed on Star Trek um, from an episode called Day of the Dove, I think. And we walked up, 
read the plaque on it, it said, uniform worn by the first Klingon female ever shown on Star Trek from the episode Day of the Dove. I was, it was like exactly what I had just... It was amazing. I was like, okay. Well, that little drama's probably acted out every day by Star Trek fans walking oh, yeah. in there. Well, all you know, it's important to, to point out that even though the day started out, you know, with that, you know, like I said, kind of a melancholy feeling, you know, with the place being dead, by about, I would say, like 11 o'clock, it was packed, which made me feel really good. And there were a lot of Star Trek fans there. It, but it was really cool because there were a lot of both, you know, serious, hardcore space aficionados. But there were a lot of hardcore Star Trek there's people there, too. Of, there's a lot of crossover in that. In those there, two. Yeah, exactly. So I found myself in a lot of conversations with people that, you know, like I say, you know, we reach, brother. You know what I mean? I mean, really some serious Star Trek geeking out. And it made me, it you really need to bring your me. little portable MP3 recorder on those things and and we could make a show out of it. <laughs> Take oh, a week no. off. <laughs> so they, uh, on the way over to the to the main building where they had the Star Trek, the classic Star Trek um, exhibit, which I'll get to in a moment, they had a ride vehicle, and it was uh, it was a shuttlecraft from the Next Gen Enterprise, and it was an actual. It was called Star Trek: The Shuttlecraft Adventure. This was the only thing there that the whole time that I was like, okay, that was pretty weak. The line was pretty short, thank God, and you went in. Well, you used it was to Star like, Tours, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and, and that's what I, you know. We wrote it, and it was it was okay, but it was kind of like a video game more than anything. Mm-hmm. And we got out of it, and Logan and I looked at each other, and we were just both we both pretty much said the same thing. Well, that was no Star Tours, you know. <laughs> but it was fun, and it had you know actually had Michael Dorn as Worf in it, which was pretty cool. You know, it wasn't bad, but it was like one of those mall things that you would go in, you know, pay like, you know, two bucks yeah. and go in and, you know, it for like four minutes. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of simple, kind of cheesy. So then we decided to go over, okay, we're going to go to this the main Star Trek a- exhibit building. And we go in there. What's the first thing you see when you walk in? There's this giant, gorgeous banner, and it's Kirk in the command chair. And it says, take your turn in the captain's chair. I'm like, oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> I will. <laughs> okay. So, and I'm looking so at the we, picture of it right now on your Skype, of course. It's your, <laughs> I love... Usually when you see these Star Trek bridge sets, they're lit like you're in the lobby of a mall or something. Right. This is lit for TV. This has blue lights and yellow lights on things. It looks like you're on the set. It's awesome. It was incredible. Well, the first thing you see when you walk in there is on one side, on one, you know, on the row, on the wall on the left-hand side was a row of glass display cases, and they had just tons of uniforms. The very first one, Montalban's from Wrath of Khan, you know, Khan's outfit from Wrath of Khan, all tattered and torn up with all the gadgets hanging off it and everything. It's pretty cool. They had an invisibility suit from uh, Star Trek Insurrection. That was pretty cool. It was weird because at first I couldn't identify it. I was like, that looks a lot like an engineering outfit, except it's all red. And then I had to read the plaque, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I had totally forgot about the invisibility suit. They had um, – what else did they have? They had uh, one of those like uh, landing party uniforms like they wore in uh, Star Trek V. Right. You know, the really – gray looking ones 
They had Scotty's actual um, engineering um, outfit, which I always thought in the movie looked like it was made out of like a plastic kind of material, but it's not. It's it's cloth. But it's weird how it, on film it looks molded. Know, it just looks yeah. Look, yeah, it does. It, it does. It looks molded. They had uh, Shatner's uh, captain's uniform from you know the red ones from some of the later films, you know, like uh, like five and six. And then on the right hand side, the first thing you see, you know, there was a few display cases where they had like a ton of like phasers and tricorders and stuff, but they had recreated the set of the Guardian of Forever Ooh. from City on the Edge of Forever. You know, the giant donut and yeah. everything that was perfect lit the lights were all right and everything did they have dry ice going on the floor no that would have been cool that would have been really awesome if they they actually should have had that that would have been very cool but what was neat about this what, what i was really most impressed about this place was that you know except for like the props and the uniforms you know this wasn't like some cordoned off museum where you know you could only get so close to it you you could actually go up on this set and you could get your picture taken you could touch things you could explore around and we did man i mean i got pictures of us you know jumping through the donut you know both backwards and forwards you know so it looks like you know we're we're traveling into the past or coming out of the, you know uh-huh. the adventure type of thing well, then you go to the next room and that's where, like, that was the biggest geek moment for me, is it was the bridge of the Enterprise. And, I mean, it was exactly the way you would see it on TV, where you actually walked in through, you know, if, if you were sitting in the captain's chair and you looked, like, to your right, you know, that was where you entered from. So, it, you know, in most of the episodes of the TV show, you never actually saw the right-hand side of the bridge, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was always shown from, you know, they were typically shooting from the right-hand side. Well, that's where you actually entered from. So it was the whole rest of the set except for just that one little section of wall. The view screen actually worked. So there was, you know, there was a planet on the screen or like sometimes they would go to warp speed. So there'd be a, you know, a streaking star effect and stuff. Sometimes a schematic would come up. They had the actual sounds playing. So, you know, it really added to it, you know, the, the, View screen yeah exactly and I mean it was perfect it was such a, an accurate recreation of the bridge you really felt like wow I'm really on the bridge of the Enterprise and it was amazing but again the thing that impressed the hell out of me was that you could walk into it you could walk into it you could touch buttons you could play with knobs you could sit in the command chair and I can't think of any place else I've ever been like this that had something this impressive and this fantastic that wouldn't be roped off, you know, with with the velvet ropes, you know, where you could only get so close to it, you know. And I mean, you could go right up in there and and interact, and it was awesome. And like you say, the lighting was perfect. So you know, I'm like flipping through my pictures now to you know remind myself of things I wanted to talk about. And the lighting in, in the pictures is perfect. I mean, it, it, it comes off like 60s lighting. So, you know, except for modern clothes, these could be stills from the set, you know, in the 60s. It's, yeah. It was really wild. Um, they had a couple other display cases. They had one. It was, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but the, the women 
that take Spock's brain. Yes. They have one of their uniforms from from Spock's brain. Brains, brains, <laughs> what are brains? <laughs> and they had um they had Ted Cassidy's outfit when he was Ruck in What Are Little Little Girls Made Of? Uh-huh. They had his actual uniform. They had a Klingon his uniform. You know, a Klingon shirt. Yeah, exactly. It made him look like a hand puppet. His hand puppet yeah. outfit. Yeah, well, yeah, it did. It looked a lot like that. It was just really, really wild. Well, then they had a whole separate building that was next-gen era and, you know, basically everything else. So over there, they actually had uh, the full-scale... Um, I was going to say model. It's not really a model because it's full scale, but it was a mock-up, I guess you would call it, of, I think it was called the Scorpion. It was the ship. You, you've seen uh, you've seen the last movie, right? Nemesis? Uh-huh. Remember when Picard and Data escape and they take one of those little flying, it's like a little flying car type of thing. Yes. And Data shoots the wall, and they, they go flying through the ship, and then they fly out through the big skylight, and that uncloaks the ship. Well, whatever that little, like, you know, snub-nosed little fighter thing was, I think it's called a scorpion, but I'm not sure. But whatever that is, they had one there. You know, the full-size deal right from the movie. And again, you know, you could walk up to it and touch it and get pictures with it and everything. They had a, a mock-up of engineering you know, from the next gen TV show, you know, again, you could walk up and touch the control panels and get pictures and everything. Tons of models and props and different things. They had a full scale, uh, uh, Borg there, you know, with the cubicle and everything right from the movies. I mean, it was just amazing. The, the stuff that they had there. And, uh, you know, there was Scattered in, in different places and different buildings around there, they had a lot more Star Trek stuff as far as displays and that sort of thing. The rest of it, um, I was equally impressed with. You know, they had uh, outside, they had a really nice memorial to, uh, you know, all the, the astronauts, you know, that have been lost over the years, you know, and different things, you know, dating back to, you know, like Apollo 1 right up until, you know, the, the different shuttle accidents and things like that. I thought that was very nice. You know, that they, they really go out of their way to, you know, have memorials and, and, you know, remember these people, you know, that, that made such a sacrifice, you know, to, to get man into space and everything. They had uh, something there called the, the shuttle launch experience, which I really liked. Logan didn't like it. Logan said he thought it was really cheesy. I thought it was actually better than, like, say, Mission Space in Epcot. I thought it was pretty cool. I, I got a big kick out of it. It was definitely better than my Atari uh, space shuttle simulation. Yeah, it, was, it was much better. Than that. <laughs> That's but what I think of first. Is like burp, burp, burp. Yeah, that game was horrible. It was a travesty. But I would say, you know, anybody who ever, you know, is coming to Florida on vacation, you know, if you've ever seen the billboards and, you know, they're hard to miss because, you know, if, for like the last hundred miles, you know, if you're driving from, say, like, you know, Georgia down, you know, into Florida, that last hundred miles, you're just bombarded with billboards and advertisements for everything from you know walt disney world to gatorland to you know kennedy to you know gatorland anything i mean if 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 it's you know if it's an attraction there's a billboard for it 
you know, if you've ever seen the signs and, and thought about going to Kennedy, it's totally, totally worth it. I mean, we, we spent an entire day there. We got there when it opened and we stayed until basically they threw us out and we still didn't get to see everything. There was a lot to do. I, I was very impressed because I really thought it'd be one of those things where, you know, you'd go and, you know, you'd spend a, you know, a half a day or whatever and be like, okay, it's time to go. And no, I mean, we could have spent a whole nother day there because there was just that much stuff to do. Um, they, we actually, part of our admission was actually for an IMAX theater where they were showing um, the latest Transformers movie. Oh. And we, there was so much stuff to do that we actually ran out of time. We didn't get to go see it, but that actually would have been pretty cool. Yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> I hear it was know, I mean, pretty just, sucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the opportunity to, you know, it was part of the admission, yeah, yeah. And, you know, see it IMAX and all that. Yeah, no, it, I know, know about you and Free, man. I know how that works. <laughs> but just so much stuff to, to see and do there. But uh, the other half of it that was really, really cool to me, and I'm really glad we made the time to do it, was... Um, on the drive in to Kennedy, just before we had got there, we had passed a place and it said it was the uh, United States Astronaut Hall of Fame. And we were driving past it. And now anybody who's ever dr- driven through, you know, Orlando or around, like, say, like the, the Kissimmee area, somewhere like that, there's a lot of these roadside attractions. And a lot of them are really kitschy looking, you know, and... You know, you, you see them all over the place, and most of them are pretty easily skipped. And we couldn't really see much of this Hall of Fame from the road other than the sign. And I wasn't sure, you know, is this actually something worth going to, or is it one of these kitschy roadside attraction type of things? Yeah, is it going to be well, like mannequins we, and fake spaces? Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, like cheesy wax figures or something. Well, when we were at Kennedy... One of the things that we had noticed on the uh, on the map that they give you um, is that it talked about the museum, and it said that it was part of your admission. And it was just they're two separate facilities, but it, it would be like say like Magic Kingdom and Epcot, you right? Know, you could it, go you know, there, you with your ticket exactly. from the one place. Exactly. So on our way out. Um, we we had left ourselves enough time to where we could actually stop by the Hall of Fame. So we stopped by there, and I am so glad that we did. This place was incredible. It was uh, totally devoted to the men, you know, that that had lived this adventure. And again, it was really nice because it, it went in a very nice linear sequence of how did we get there? You know, how did we get from the earth to the moon? And it starts with, you know, the very first thing you see when you walk into the museum is a, a 19th century copy of Jules Verne's from the earth to the moon. And it just goes through this whole sequence of talking about, you know, like the, the old Buck Rogers strips. And yeah. Things it, like it, that. it sounds like in the, the meeting, the, conference hall in the enterprise and or i don't know if he was even on the enterprise in the in the original motion picture where they had you know all the progression of spaceships up to the you know and enterprises up to the enterprise and all that it was totally like i love that shit yeah this was great you would love this place because you walk in and the very first thing you see after you get 
it, it reminded me a lot of, of something that used to be at Epcot. It was a ride called Horizons, where the beginning of that ride was like, let's look back at how people used to think the future would, would look like. That's kind of what this was like. It was like, all right, let's look back at future throughout the ages. Yeah, how people used to dream about going to the moon and, you know, space flight and that, you know, the ideas that led to us actually doing it. And then the next room after that was an entire section devoted to the Mercury 7. That was just, I mean, that was incredible because they had so much stuff. They had um, Gus Grissom's Mercury 7 outfit was there. And I was just like, I was moved to tears by that. You know, I, I was just like, this is incredible. They had actual panels from, you know, mission control and things that you could, you know, again, you could touch, you could sit down, you know, flip switches and stuff. And then they had these nice museum pieces that laid out, you know, month by month, year by year, the progression and the sequence of events, both of the space program and then just generally what was happening in the world at the time, you know, like, uh, you know, when Kennedy was assassinated and when uh, when uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated, when um, um, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous speech, you know, when Disney died, you know, when when, uh, you know, the different Apollo missions went up, you know, when different missions failed or succeeded, you know, when Apollo, you know, when the crew of Apollo one died, there's actually an entire um, it's like a transition hallway from one section of the Hall of Fame to another. That entire transition transition section, I thought, was done very well because it the the moment they use in time tr- to transition you from the early part to here's where we're actually getting to where we're about to get to the moon. They use the Apollo One tragedy for that, which I thought is both a really clever use of the transition effect, but also that was an extremely pivotal moment right. in early spaceflight because it could have spelled the end of everything or, you know, it could have inspired people to, to go on, which it did, you know, and, and really, you know, let's, let's win this for the guys, you know, let's get there for these guys. And it was just great. And they had actual, you know, videos playing of, you know, surviving astronauts, you know, giving their take on what they thought of of the whole thing. And it was just, it was great. It was so moving. And so, I mean, there was no cheesiness, no kitschiness to the whole thing. It was very solemn, very, uh, very sincere and really moving and not at all what I expected. I mean, like you say, this wasn't you know, this wasn't a bunch of goofy wax figures or a bunch of cheesiness. I mean, tons and tons and tons of real memorabilia, you know, real things from these people's lives, you know, equipment and spacesuits and books and, you know, just everything you can think of. And again, you know, you went into the second half and that one fully went through all the rest of Apollo, Skylab, and right into the shuttle program, pretty much right up to modern day. And just incredible, the, the amount of detail and, and memorabilia and displays and things you could interact with and touch and play with. And then in the very back of the hall, there was a, a room that you walked into and it was just really, really beautifully done. There were these discs and it reminded me an awful lot of, uh, of the library 
from uh, I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's the, the episode, the Star Trek episode with Mister Atos, uh-huh. where they would pull out those little discs and choose where they wanted to go back in time. Yep. These were these glass discs, and etched into the discs were they were like laser etchings of portraits of the astronauts, and that was the Hall of Fame. And in the center, they had these these glass etchings. And then above them was a thing that said their name. And then beneath them were all of the mission patches for all of the missions that they had flown. You know, starting with, you know, some of these guys, like, say, like Frank Borman, for example, starting in Gemini, going all the way through, you know, wherever their last mission was. And I mean, just, just about anybody you can think of you know, that was important to the history of spaceflight, you know, from the earliest guys with Mercury right up until, you know, fairly recent shuttle pilots and shuttle uh, astronauts. It was just incredible. And to see the names in there, it it was, uh, again, it was one of those things where you could just totally find yourself really overcome, you know, with emotion for how amazing this was. And, uh, and I, I was just so impressed with it. I really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, and again, I, you know, I would encourage anybody, you know, if you have an interest in, uh, in space flight and Star Trek, you know, in really seeing, you know, both the things that kind of inspired Star Trek, the things that were going on while Star Trek was actually, you know, being created and on the air back in the 60s and, and then just kind of the things that, after Star Trek had come along, had continued to inspire the space program. Because you know, that's the cool thing about Star Trek and and the time that it came was that, you know, this early part of the space program with like Mercury and Gemini and even the early days of Apollo were kind of the things that were inspiring Star Trek. And then later on, it was Star Trek that was inspiring the space program, you know? And, and these astronauts growing up with having watched Star Trek on TV and wanting to be a part of that and make Star Trek as real as it could be you know, in the real world. It, it's, it's amazing. It, it's, it was just a nice blending of the two, you know, bringing those two worlds together in, in one, um, one attraction, you know, one, one display, uh, one venue, one venue. Yeah, that's that's the word I was saying because I was I didn't want to say theme park because it wasn't really a theme, but yeah, one venue exactly. And it was it was really really something. And uh, unfortunately, it uh, it did close a couple of days. You know, as far as the Star Trek part closed a few days later. But I'm hoping that this was you know as successful as it appeared to be. You know, when I was there, and that there'll be more of these uh, these types of things, more sci-fi summers, or you know, more Star Trek stuff, or you know, it'd be well, interesting. They got the too set to built, see. so you know, <laughs> I mean, oh, you yeah. got want might want to use it again. But uh, you know, regardless of of whether they they bring it back or they do anything more Star Trek related, just just the real world space aspect of it, you know, with uh, with all the. Uh, the stuff from the the actual space program definitely worth you know your your time and money to go check it out and it wasn't expensive I mean it really was not very expensive at all compared to say like you know some of the other uh, the other venues around Florida you know right. some of the other actions and venues that you could go to so definitely uh, worth your time to to check it out so that was uh, 
that was my Star Trek experience here recently. Damn. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was quite an experience. Definitely. Bastard. <laughs> I'll get you. Well, See, next now, time you know, you- I'm so happy. I just, uh, not to break the Star Trek spell, I'm so happy I can make Pete Hesh jokes now and there's going to be other people who get him. <laughs> Double white. Yeah. Well, that, that's if they listen to that episode, which I hope people have done. I hope that you, you guys have sought out a recent uh, Pete Hesh. If you don't know what Chris is talking about, then you got to go listen to our recent uh, P.S. Spectacular. And, uh, <laughs> Spectacular. Talking about. I did allow myself one, uh, uh, what do you call it? One souvenir, which I was very proud of. I, I, I got it here. I, I, I set it on my desk so I would remember to talk about it. I'm not, I'm not usually much for picking up souvenirs when I go to places, you know, because generally... Generally, they're really expensive, you know, and I, you know, usually just the cost of getting into a place is enough, you know, for me, that, that's enough of an expense. But they had this uh, really, really nice um, gift shop there with, I mean, stuff that was, you know, ranged from simple little trinkets to they had an actual picture there. It was beautiful. I took a picture of it. And by the way, there I have tons of and tons of pictures that I posted up on Facebook. So, uh, you know, be sure to check that out. And I also, I put a link um, on our forum to all the pictures that I posted on Facebook. So, you know, if you're if you're part of our forum, if you're not part of our forum, join our forum. It's awesome. It's a lot of fun. A lot of great guys there. But, uh, you know, go check out all the pictures that I post up. But anyway, they had this picture there. It was called The Moonwalkers. It was this gorgeous painting and it was all 12 of the men that have actually walked on the moon. And except for Armstrong and Aldrin, it was signed by the other 10 guys. I mean, actually signed by them. Yeah, a couple thousand dollars on this baby. But it was it was really awesome. Beautiful piece of art. Would love to own something like that. I settled for, uh, for taking a picture of it. But what I did allow myself was uh, I, I, I like pins, and uh, and I wear I have an Epcot hat that I wear everywhere now. It has a a, a pin on it of uh, of Walt Disney on the side of it. I bought myself a uh, it's a replica of the patch, the mission patch for Apollo Eight, which is probably my favorite um, space mission, you know, real life space mission ever. Uh, so we have. Uh... We have matching patches in, because I have that patch, too. Do you really? I have all the Apollo patches. Remember, oh, my wow. grandfather Berger gave them to me for my... He, he, because he was he knew that I liked Star Trek, and it was a... You know, it was a grandparent gift, where they were, uh... Where, um, you know, they were like, oh, he likes space stuff, you know? Right, yeah. And, uh, but they, he, he knocked it out of the park with that one because that was very exciting. You know, they, they're mounted on a frame and it's all the Apollo missions. Oh, man. See, they had that there. They had patches that you could buy. And I mean, they had every mission patch you could possibly imagine was there. But I, I got to thinking. Man, what would I put a patch on? I mean, they're neat and everything, but what would I actually put? I, I, if I got something like that, I'd want to wear it. So what in the world would I wear you know, a patch on? You know, I don't, it's not like I wear a jacket regularly or anything like that. 
Well, then they had pins, you know, similar to like the, you know, the parks we have at Disney, you know, the, the just, you know, the little stick pins. And they had those that were recreations of the mission patches, but they were they were in a, you know, a metal pin. So that's what I got for uh, for Apollo 8 was I got the, the pin that's a recreation of the mission patch. And I love it because it's a, it's a big number eight. And in the top circle of the eight, you've got the moon. And in the bottom circle of the eight, you've got the earth. And it says Borman, Lovell, and uh, Anders on it. And what's really cool is that it's got so many different meanings because the eight, you know, the number eight, of course, that's the mission number, Apollo 8. But then the way it's drawn is also reminiscent of the infinity symbol, which looks like an eight. But then also the way it's drawn and, and with having the moon and, and the earth in it the way it is, it's also the path of the mission. You know, going to the moon, circumnavigating the moon, coming back and, you know, going around the earth. So it's it's just a really it's one of the more dynamic uh, mission patches, I think. Plus, again, like I say, you know, my my favorite mission. So that was the little uh, souvenir I allowed myself to to bring away from there, as well as just a ton of pictures. And come on, you know, getting to actually sit in Kirk's chair on the bridge of the Enterprise. I mean, you can't you can't put a price tag on that. You know, that's something I have wanted to do virtually all my life. You know, and it was that was pretty cool. You know. So while I was actually there snapping away pictures and everything, I actually had Logan take my, my camera phone and I was like, here, take a picture. And I posted it up to, to Facebook while I was actually there and right away started to get feedback from, from friends like, oh my God, where are you? You know? <laughs> so it was, it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. But anyway, that was my, uh, that was my day at, uh, at Kennedy space center. I had an absolute blast and, uh, yeah, total total geek out, man. You talk about just totally, you know, living one of those dreams. That was it. LTD. Yeah, living the dream. Well, you want to take a break, I, or you want to dive right into? Uh, I say we take a quick break and uh, do uh, do all our old stool, old stool, old school Star Trek in the Ew. old stool Star Trek in the <laughs> next uh, next part. All right. Give us a chance to plug and promote. <laughs> we'll be right back. Why, hello there, lovely ladies. May I just say that you look quite beautiful in your matching Slave Leia metal bikinis. You have permission to come aboard my den of nerd erotica. Some people would call it my mom's garage. I call it 10.1 forward. Can I interest you in a death stick? Nope. I was just kidding. Have a shot of Trania. Once you get loosened up, we can play a friendly game of Strip Fizzbin. Let me loosen that strap. Hey suckers, Maury Clawhammer here, okay? You want your freaking Star Wars? I got your Star Wars right here! What about the Star Trek? You like that shit too, right? Right? That's what I thought. Well, we got that, and we got more freaking comics than you can read in your entire miserable goddamn life. Hey, there's even a girl who talks about unicorns and goddamn Harry Potter and M... 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 Them goddamn Oriental cartoons with the big eyes. So you get your ass over to the Two True Freaks podcast at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. That's spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, all right? 
Alright? Good. You can get there on the internet and choose from hundreds of quality Two True Freaks podcasts. And would it kill you to buy a goddamn t-shirt? Remember, Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hey, you. Yes, you, hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do, because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do. Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser-known monsters, like Gappa, Yangari, and Giala. We cover everything from movies to comic books to video games, and we're kicking it old school at earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com. Check it out, won't you? And remember, the EDD has got their eyes on you! 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 Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. Howdy! Ah. <laughs> Alright, I'll start again, although that was hilarious. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday. And we're back into the Star Trek The Original Series, and this month we've got... Is there no truth in beauty? No. Is there? Is there... <laughs> and to tell you how the story goes, and maybe even tell you whether there is some truth in beauty. Although I don't know why he would know. Mr. Scott Gardner. Hello. Alright, the a- actual name for this episode, uh, <laughs> since you butchered it, is in Is There In Truth No Beauty? Which is still a goofy name for an episode, but... But then again, it's a goofy episode, so here we go. This one uh, actually was first aired October 18th, 1968. So I was a mere uh, six-month-old infink when this one was first aired. Just just think about yeah, that. I was for a just like four months old. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. So, uh, all right, here's the deal with this episode, folks. The Medusans are a race with wonderful mental abilities. Kind of like me. Yes! Including navigational capabilities. ugly as sin. (laughs) (laughs) They're a lot like us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Including navigational capabilities exceeding those of humanoids. Physically, the Medusans appear as energy patterns arranged in frequencies and colors that are too dazzling for humanoid eyes to behold. Oh, the colors. (laughs) In a pioneering experiment, 
the lovely Dr. Miranda Jones beams aboard the Enterprise with Kolos, a Medusan encased within a protective container. Traveling with them is Larry Marvick, one of the men who designed the Enterprise's engines. Marvick, rendered slightly irrational by his love for Miranda, is to aid in an exchange of uh, technical information with the Medusan, translated by telepathic Dr. Jones. Marvick, however, attempts to kill the Medusan. The sight of the alien without its protective box renders Marvick insane. And in the throes of his madness, he visits... Van Gelder's him, for sure. (laughs) It does. (laughs) In the throes of his madness, he visits the engineering section and plunges the Enterprise into another dimension. I don't think that's actually right. That's not right. Mr. Spock dons a protective visor and melds minds with the Medusan to guide the Enterprise back home. But Spock forgets his visor when he separates from Kolos, and it drives him batshit crazy. (laughs) The Vulcan's life and sanity are in danger until Dr. Jones... <laughs> no time for love, Dr. Jones. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> Very funny, Dr. Jones. Very funny. <laughs> you, te- so- you cheat, Dr. Jones. <laughs> you, you cheat. Play with you, no fun. <laughs> <laughs> Until Dr. Jones puts aside her jealousy of Spock's superior telepathic abilities and <laughs> cures the Vulcan by entering his temporarily disordered mind. Nice. Finally... Miranda's ability to look upon the Medusan without harm is explained. She is completely blind! Huh? Her dress being a complex sensor web that gives her the ability to quote-unquote see obstacles and judge distances. That's a very dry and often inaccurate description of what this episode is. And I say that because the whole thing about entering another dimension, not really true, and uh, it, that goes counter to one of the major bitches that I have with this Right, episode. that it takes them 15 minutes to get as, like, completely lost in space. Well, not just that, but, you know... I, it's I, like I, navigating you know, Boston, I guess, in that sector, so the well, couple wrong turns and you don't know where the hell you are. Well, I, I'll let you run with your, with your notes and, and everything on this, but just spoiling that one part, I mean... Is this not the same exact barrier that they go through in the very first episode, you know, where no man has gone before? Why didn't anybody else wig out like uh, like uh, Gary Mitchell in this episode? Because it seems to me like this is the same galactic barrier, isn't it? It might just be the same special effect because they were too cheap or something. <laughs> it could be. Well, uh, first of all, I watched the, the um, souped-up version. Yeah. As usual. And the opening establishing shot of the Enterprise and the planet from this weird angle is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most beautiful shots of the Enterprise I've ever seen. Just sort of, And it's from a just a neat, a different angle than you usually see. And it ha- and it gives you that, that more of that feeling of, you know, why, you usually see the Enterprise coming on a on a plane toward in a straight line towards a planet, and this it's kind of curved. You know, it's just neat. It's it's awesome. Um, when they bring the Medusan on the ship, and everybody's got to run away, and Spock's there, and they they bring the Medusan in, and it's in a box. Spock acts all surprised. You'd think they'd been briefed on, yeah, we carry the Medusans around in boxes, you know, or whatever. You'd think they'd know that. 
It's weird that how he was just sort of like, hmm, how curious. He's in a box, you know. What, what, what else? Do, you know. Um, and of course, when Miranda Jones gets there, Kirk's got his flowers and liquor ready to go, <laughs> and he's pouring her more drinks. You want more? My wife watched this one with me. <laughs> and she and must there, have been rolling the, her eyes. Oh, she was, man. Because the part where uh, who, where Kirk who and Spock hatch their plan, and Spock says, "I think it's Spock." Somebody says something to the effect of, "Well, we how have are to we take gonna, her mind completely yeah, off it." Yeah, we gonna distract her? And Kirk's basically like, <laughs> "Leave that to me." And <laughs> I she got looked that at me and control. just was like, "Oh Christ!" <laughs> <laughs> it was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if it was Rick Springfield, she'd be. Oh, yeah, she'd, she'd buy it then, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, she'd be just like, oh, let me smell this flower, Rick. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and and I mean, Kirk was really pouring on the cheesy. I mean, they played her up as being like the most, I mean, she's very pretty in it, but her personality is repellent in it. She's just, you know, jealous <laughs> yeah. and catty. She doesn't like Spock, and she's just like, you know, there's tension between... Her and uh, what's his name, Marvik, Marvik, and uh, Marvik. By the way, his outfit is totally next generation. He looks like he walked right out of, of, you know, as an extra, you know, not an official uniform, but like a costume that would be from that era. Right. Um, and speaking of kissing, when uh, it's actually not Kirk that kisses her, but Marvik, Marvik, and uh, in in the old. 60s and Star Trek tradition the man before he plants the kiss on the woman will grab onto their face with both hands on both sides it was a very 60s it's just almost like you're not going anywhere I'm gonna hold them right in place and then and then go for it and, and that was but um all in all it was you know it was a decent episode as far as I, 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 I don't remember remember much of it from when I was a kid except for the parts where Spock would go crazy and that it had a lot of fisheye lens in it. Right. And I love that. I love the Kirk with his arms all spaghettied out, you know, going, Spock, we're your friends. You know. <laughs> so... And, and all the weird, you know, looking at the Medusans, and then you see basically something that looks like your TV turned onto a white channel with sparklers superimposed over it, and that apparently drives men mad. I always <laughs> used to get freaked out as a kid going, if this drives you crazy, why are they showing it to you right now? <laughs> so, but there, yeah, there's a lot of just holes in this in this plot and um not even really holes except you know I mean really the basic glaring thing is really they can get shot to the end of the universe in in 15 minutes and right and be completely lost and if, if so you'd think they would basically isolate that incident find out how he did it and 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 repeat it there I, there was just more opportunity for real more depth to this story of more of the um the jealousy between Marvek and and say every other male because they were 
you know, everybody was hot dogging her when she showed up on the, you know, they're all <laughs> toasting how she's the most beautiful woman in the universe and everybody's just falling all over themselves over her. And the, the, um, her relationship with the, the Medusin, you know, it, it would have been more interesting if, you know, I mean, you could tell she was sort of in love with the Medusin or the idea of the Medusin and stuff like they could have developed that more you know or have, have the maybe the medusin is not willing to be to work with her but she's not letting anybody else communicate with him that's why she doesn't want spock to there could have she could have been a more sinister character i was sort of expecting her to go in a more sinister direction but at the end you know in star trek you know the, she was having some problems and everybody got got past them and except for Marvek, who died. And that here's my glaring thing about this one, was when they're all sitting at dinner, and she's like, somebody here is thinking of murder, and like, and leaves all Wolf in the Fold style. Um, wouldn't you think that, that Kirk Spock, who was it, Kirk Spock, McCoy, and Scotty were, and I right. love Scotty's little, the Scotty with his Scottish, you know, sash on his dress uniform um so they're all sitting there she says somebody's thinking of murder all those guys know that it's none of them although maybe it's scotty because it's you know like maybe <laughs> like wolf in the fold but you He's know they, 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 yeah they never had a moment where they were like let's keep an eye on marvac because uh, or marvic because i have a you know suspicion that maybe it was him that was thinking of murder you know and so right. That uh, that just got sloughed totally off, you know. And she should have been like that. She should have suspected it too that he might want to kill the, kill the Medusin. But uh, and I and I love Star Trek insane though. I love when people go insane in Star Trek. You know, they come and can't sleep. They come to suffocate. <laughs> you know, I mean that's it's just awesome. People they 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 get a wet cloth and they make you all sweaty and they fuzz your hair up and you know slap you around a little bit so your face is all red and then just let you rant and rave and and of course when you're insane you just attack everybody <laughs> isn't that the first thing he does is he like runs out in the hallway and just slugs some guy like runs he into does. him and then just slugs him does the run into him sort of man hug thing of like oh excuse me boom <laughs> uh, of course, because that's what crazy people do in Star Trek. They just run and run and punch. <laughs> and I personally don't think you know running and punching is necessarily a sign of insanity, but uh, in, in the Star Trek universe, I guess it is. Or a sign but, that you're the captain, one of the two. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, that's about all I have to. That's all about I have all on my uh, notes in this. It's. It, 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 it was an entertaining episode. I was enjoying the lurid mu- There's really a lot of lurid music in it. There's a lot of lurid, crazy camera angles. And, uh, you know, just w- you know, that, that general sort of wackiness. But if you give the story any scrutiny, it's... it's is this third season? Yes. Yeah, very, okay. very third season. So there you season. go. That's why the story is as it is. So, yeah. This episode has the feeling like there are scenes missing because there are some great leaps in both 
logic and just general storytelling. Yes. Because the whole resolution at the end where suddenly Spock's okay and then she comes in at the end and basically, you know, thanks everybody for helping her out and getting her, you know, to to, you know, meld with the Medusa. And I was like, where the hell was all that? You know? Yes. I mean, it's it's just it's one of those quick, tidy wrap ups where, OK, everything's cool now. And it's like, no, 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 wait a minute. Last we knew she was like all crazy bitch. So what happened there? There's, it, it's literally like there's a scene missing somewhere. And then earlier in the episode, well, I, I'd say well, they slough off how 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 when somebody, you know, and love or have loved or worked closely with dies. You're usually traumatized. But in, in Star Trek, right. it always gets sloughed off. It's like this guy, di- her her ex-boyfriend, he died. He died being a kind of a prick. <laughs> but still, you know, it's sort of... it's sort of, and, and, and then after that, like, still all the guy, You know, Kirk's still trying to get in her pants in, into her... Uh, sorry, into her Geordie LaForge dress. You know, <laughs> even even after that, that's, you know, that's kind of... T- oh, your, boy, your ex-boyfriend just died? What are you doing tonight, you know? Right. You want some Tranya? Well, my my biggest note for this one, of course, is uh, you know that it has Diana Mulder in it as uh, as Miranda Jones. I don't like her as a brunette in this. I think the wig is terrible, and I don't like her general look. But I like her as an actress. You know, we saw her before. I can't remember if it was before this episode or after. I think it was before this episode where she was uh, Anne Mulhall in Return to Tomorrow. Remember the one with. Right. Uh, with uh, Sargon, right? Well, she was a much more. She was, she was still kind of. She still. She has that brassy voice, so they put yeah. her into a, a usually kind of brassy, bossy, like the queen. She, yeah, that's what she was. She was Sar- like, Sargon was like the leader, and she was like the co-leader. Yeah, or Sargon's mate, or whatever. Mate, yeah. But I liked her in that one. I don't. I didn't like her in this episode, but I like her in that episode. And then, of course, she comes back to Star Trek. You know, years later, um, where she was uh, Doctor Pulaski, which you know we're about to get into that era on uh, on our next gen coverage. I like her much soon. better as Doctor Pulaski. Yeah, actually. yeah, I do I too. I mean, I, I nothing against the actress. I just think the character itself was a very unpleasant character. You know. Oh That's really? That's why I wonder. Yeah, I, I thought her character. Was, I didn't like her. Ca- uh, not Pulaski's character. Um, oh, the character in, in, in the episode yeah. we're talking about was. Yeah. I couldn't understand, you know, I couldn't understand why, you know, Kirk's all like, you know, I'm so, ch- I mean, it, cause it, it comes off as Kirk comes off as being especially disingenuous in this because she's not charming. No, she she's is. Not. She is attractive, but she's not acting attractive. She's acting very off putting and, and cold and distant from anybody. And they're all still just like, Hey, hamana, hamana. Well, it's funny that you say Kirk is disingenuous because I got the distinct impression that Kirk just wants to nail her, and 15 minutes later he'll forget she ever existed. Oh yeah, once the boots are back like, on, it's over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He does not seem like he's really into her all that much at all. Well, because he wasn't taking, you know, he wasn't taking his time, and like I said, roses <laughs> and liquor immediately. Hi, and dress, dress, full dress outfit. You know, welcome to my ship. Would you I like, like to come to my the, favorite place where the flowers are? <laughs> I like that, that right, later that's on his favorite place. <laughs> in the episode when uh, when what's his name? Koloth or whatever the hell his name was, the Medusan guy mm-hmm. melds with Spock that he actually says a line, something to the effect of, you know, us that you know, we that you call Medusans. 
because that was right off the bat was one of my nitpicks was like really you're gonna call these guys medusans and then they're so ugly that if you look at them that you go crazy that's just that's a bridge too far but it was where some you know wise ass in starfleet or something you know because yeah, they, they were so ugly yeah you know, they, they, they said we'll name it after them. the medusa right. of medusa of lore yes so then it kind of it kind of sort of works but it's still pretty cheesy well, it also it's, gave them, by this time, they were loving having opportunities to have Leonard Nimoy show emotion, you know? It was always a big shocker to have Spock turn around with a big grin on his face, you know? Right. And, there is uh, a, uh, in the, this enhanced I kind of like that scene, actually. With Spock smiling? Uh, where, where, where Spock got, where, where the Medusan, uh, the Medusan-Spock hybrid got to you know, address everybody and, you know, sort of revel in his new body a little bit, you know, in a, in a body a little bit, and... and it I, creeps I, I, me out. Yeah, well, it should be a little creepy. I mean, anything like that that the Vulcans do is a little creepy, you know? It creeped me out in the sense that I kept expecting him to break into, like, the Bilbo Baggins song or something <laughs> like that. So he had the same kind of grinny, you know, yeah. fake, you know... I just played that a couple episodes ago, so I won't <laughs> put him through that again. <laughs> That would usually be a cue for that song to pop up in the in the <laughs> soundtrack, but it's a hammer. Um, in this enhanced version, when they go to warp two, and then there's a head-on shot of the Enterprise with the planet receding in the background. That was really cool. I thought that looked really really sharp in this. Yes, it did. I watched that twice actually. Now that you mention it, because it looked so cool, and I like the ship. I, I, at first, I wrote down I like the Medusan ship, but I don't think it was Medusan because it looked Starfleet in in um, design. It looked like a you know it had Starfleet elements to it. But I like the little sh shuttle that came to pick him up at the end. Right, the yeah. Stumpy, stumpy sort of hybrid of it was like a mini Enterprise mixed with the ship from two thousand and one. Uh, what was it? The Discovery. I wonder if that's the one I was reading something about where that was like a, an early prototype for the Enterprise or something like that. I, I could be, I could They probably did wrong. some nerdy thing. It's probably, there's probably a Starfleet manual or something with that ship in it or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did read something about that, but now I can't remember. Nimoy sounds like he has a cold through a whole lot of this episode. His voice sounds funny. Yes, he's a little gravelly and uh, and na and not nasally, but plugged up a little. Kind of nasally, yeah, a little bit. I hate hate the the music in this episode. Oh, really? I love it. It's just least... total cheese. Yeah, music. it is too cheesy. It's all the cheese music poured into the one episode. Yeah. All right. After Marvit comes and tries to kill the uh, the Medusa, the ambassador. And then he goes batshit crazy. Almost immediately, we cut to a scene that shows... I'm trying to remember who all is there. It's like Kirk, Spock, McCoy, possibly Scotty, too. And a shitload of armed security guys. They just come marching in out of nowhere. Like, how the hell did Kirk and, and these guys know something was wrong? It's not like somebody called them and was like, Hey, get down here. You know, Marvick went shit, you know, batshit crazy and tried to kill the... You know, they Were just they show with, up. Were they with what's her name? Maybe she could no. detect it. Ah, oh. unless maybe she so called. maybe she like quickly summoned them or some shit. I, I don't, don't know. know. It, it probably there probably was stuff cut out of this. It probably I plays so. into that 
earlier theory of yours. And then when they get to her quarters, Kirk knocks on her door. <laughs> I mean, he actually, like, wraps his knuckles on yes. her. Yes. Which, all right, for one thing, I don't... I don't know. Oh, I guess if she has the being door... old-fashioned and romantic. Well, I mean, they have like the little button on this. You know, the you know they push the button and it like makes a whistle or something. I don't. Yeah, the doorbell. It just really stood out to me that he actually knocked on the door. I he was being was... quaint and trying to charm her out of her dress, out of her magic dress. Now, after I made a big deal earlier about the fact that, you know, you never ever, well, hardly ever see the right-hand side of the bridge, there was actually a yeah. really unique bridge angle in this episode that I liked a lot. Yeah, right in, th right in through the elevator door. Yeah, basically. it was back by Scotty's engineering station on the bridge, shot that way across, like, Kirk's left shoulder toward the right-hand side of the bridge. It was actually a really cool shot. I have, that, I have that in my notes, too. Very unusual angle on the bridge. Yeah. It's one of the, the few times I can remember seeing the entire right-hand side of the bridge all the way around like that. Um, in the enhanced version where they go to the... Uh, you know, they go out into that unknown region or anything, doesn't it look like the Enterprise is trapped in a tie-dye shirt? Yes, dude. <laughs> It totally did. Well, it's like the Medusans, like an acid flashback, man. <laughs> I still say that this has pretty much got to be the same barrier from where No Man has uh, gone before. It's got to be, because there's only two barriers. There's the one on the outside of the galaxy and the one on the inside of the galaxy that they go to in Star Trek V. So if they didn't go to the center of the galaxy, yeah, they went outside, right? What what is the name? Shaka Khan or wherever they were gonna go? It, Shakari. <laughs> Shakari, yeah, yeah, exactly. In the land called Shakari. <laughs> and then I love when uh, they realize that Spock forgot his visor. Um, Kirk goes, "Don't look, Spock." Keep your eyes shut. And all I could think of was uh, Indiana Jones going, Don't look, Marion. Keep your eyes shut. <laughs> Little Vulcan Cybok. Love that rascal Spock. <laughs> and frolicked in the autumn mist and something that rhymes with sock. <laughs> Glee. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is my last note, but I thought this was a doozy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but at the very beginning of the episode, isn't Marvick kind of a dick to them when he comes up and he's like, oh, "Mr. You know, Captain Kirk, you know, this gentleman, you you guys can't be in here when the when the thing beams up. You got to get the hell out." Doesn't he like tell them to get out of the transporter room before they yeah. beam? All right. At the very end of the episode, Spock puts on his red visor thing again. And you know, does the Vulcan salute and everything to Miranda, and then the and, uh, the Medusa beams down. Kirk's right there the whole time, and he doesn't have a visor on. And it, they already said even if he had a visor on, it wouldn't make any difference. That well, that's because the best look. part of the show they cut out was the after the credits is Kirk going <laughs> and running through and running down the hall and punching people, and like they come and suffocate by night. I said, give me the brandy. He goes and finds Wilson and beats the hell out of him again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Wilson, 
please, <laughs> please move to your panic room. Captain Kirk has gone insane again. <laughs> Wilson! Oh, man. Yeah, well, you know, to sum it all up, I got to just be honest. I thought this episode Meh. was pretty... Well, it's pretty shit, really. It's not horrible, but it's pretty bad. And the uh, the horrible music in this one just puts it into that realm where it's it's almost barely watchable to me. There were a couple moments I liked. I mean, there were there were a couple you know there were a couple moments where it was like, okay, this kind of feels again like Star Trek, but then it almost immediately you know goes right back to just like super cheese land. So not one of the better ones. Definitely a third season episode. Definitely third season. Yeah. Well. Do we want to talk about our, our last thing, our, our, our little surprise for the listeners this time around? Sure. All right. Well, as you guys know, we have been covering the uh, the first series of DC Comics Star Trek comics uh, during our Star Trek comic segment of the show. However, we are going to throw you guys a bit of a curveball this time. We're going to give you a special treat. Something that I literally just discovered and uh, a, a story, you know, I think I talked about this on the show before. I could be wrong, but I think I have mentioned this on the show that there's a Star Trek story I've always wanted to read, you know, that I, I didn't know if it actually existed or not. But if it did or if, you know, if it, if it didn't, it was a story that needed to be written. It was a story that needed to be told. And if it did exist, I needed to find it and read it. Well, I finally found it. The story of just why the hell did, after everything he went through, after everything Kirk went through in Star Trek The Motion Picture to get the Enterprise back, why the hell would he let them promote him to Admiral again? What happened between Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Trek II? Why did Kirk allow them to promote him again? And uh, I found this story. It was in... Um, the very last issue of a very, very, very short-lived series called Star Trek Untold Voyages. So we're going to take a quick look at this issue. This is issue number five. It's put out by, uh, by Marvel Comics back when they were doing uh, the Paramount Comics, they were called. Um, for a time, Marvel had regained the Star Trek license and had several different Star Trek series out. So this is the final issue of this series, Star Trek Untold Voyages. It's written by uh, Glenn Greenberg, and art is by Michael Collins and Keith Williams. And uh, we start out the story, and it's already right away. Is you know it, it puts the the time at the end of the second five year mission. You know they had a second five year mission after the whole V'ger incident and everything when Kirk regained the Enterprise. They're on their way home at the end of the mission, and there's a uh, a gathering on the wreck deck, and you know you can tell right away through the dialogue and a comment that uh, Doctor McCoy makes that they have just recently adopted the red uniforms, the one the ones that they would wear. Yeah, they got rid of the pajamas that the they pajamas. had before. I liked the fact that McCoy was like, "Hey, I liked the old uniforms." Uh-huh. I got a kick for that. That there was at least one person that was kind of, you know, speaking up for the yeah, other. Yeah, but one. he's the guy who dressed in the disco outfit too. So, right, that's true. And Kirk gets a uh, gets a summons, and he decides he's going to take the uh, the message in his quarters, and he goes down there. 
And it's Admiral Morrow, who we would meet in, a, in Star Trek Three. And at this time, he had just recently become um, head of Starfleet. He took over from uh, Admiral Nagura when Nagura um, retired. And it's basically Morrow saying, we need you in the Admiralty. You know, we'd really like you to, uh, to return to the Admiralty, you know, when you get back to Earth at the end of this mission. And Kirk is, you know, flat out, no, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I want to do, you know, what I live to do, what I dream to do. I went through all this before, you know, with Nagura and everything, you know, I'm captain of the Enterprise. This is where I belong. And Morrow says, you know, basically asking me, well, at least think about it, you know, at least entertain the idea. Kirk promises that he will. But then we're, you know, we're privy to his thoughts, you know, this being a comic book. And he's pretty much like, hell no, that's no way in hell. Yeah. There's a nice little moment here where uh, where Savick is foreshadowed, although I kind of wondered why they bothered even to throw that in with this being the last issue. And uh, I really liked the moment here where Kirk goes to Spock. And it, it's, it's just a really nice moment between the two of them where he basically thanks him for coming back into his life, you know, for returning to the Enterprise and, and to the, you know, returning to the fold, basically, after... You know, going to the, you know, the Colinar and all that, you know, that we saw in Star Trek, the motion picture. I really liked this moment between the two of them that, you know, Kirk admitting that he needed Spock during that time, that it was important for him to come back. And we go a little bit further into the story. They end up running across what's basically, it's pretty much the mothership from Close Encounters of the Third. Well, the third name time. of the story is Close Encounters, too. That's true. Yeah, that's right. And they, they encounter this ship where, uh, what was it? They were going to the rescue of a, yeah, that's right. They were going to the rescue of the Yorktown. They get a, distri- a distress signal. And, of course, you know, the Enterprise is always the closest starship to whatever the crisis of the moment is. And they race there. And it's really cool because the, the Yorktown in this is still an old school Star Trek. You know, right. Uh, it's a decommissioned old school that the trainees get to use. That's right. Yeah. Which actually lends into where this story goes. And it's been really beat up badly by this alien ship, which, again, looks a lot like the mothership from Close Encounters. And... Kirk, you know, of course, he beams over there. You know, he leads a leads in a, a landing party, and they go over to the Yorktown. Over there, they find the captain dead, and you know, a lot of people are dead, and pretty much every you know, all that's left aboard that ship is a bunch of cadets. One of which, Kirk chides him for, you know, why the hell did you stay and fight when you knew you were completely outclassed and outmatched? And the kid pretty much cites that, you know, Kirk's his hero. You know, he's read every mission about him and, you know. Yeah. I learned it from you, okay? Exactly, yeah. There's a lot of hero worship going on here. And he says, you know, I, he, I did what you would do. I stayed in the thick of the battle and everything. And and Kirk really dresses him down. He says, you are reckless. He says, there's a time to fight and a time to back off and regroup to give yourself a better chance for victory. He says, you've got guts, cadet, but not the wind- wisdom to use them properly. And it really really affects the kid and uh, I really like that there was a moment between two of the cadets where one of them says he's not exactly what we thought he'd be like is he Dan and the other one says so much for finally meeting my idol what a letdown and Chekhov overhears this and really goes off on the two of them which was cool but this whole exchange upsets Kirk very much the thought that this is the impression 
he's made on the younger generation that they think he's just some sort of reckless cowboy. And, of course, this is going to lead into where the story goes. Well, over the course of the story, they, they end up meeting what is pretty much traditional human-abducting greys, you know, grey aliens. And they uh, they kind of take a liking to Spock because he's the only one that seems to have ordered minds like them. Smart enough for him, yeah. Yeah, basically. Whereas everybody else, you know, they kind of torture and mess with. And they mess with, with Kirk by giving him this nightmare where he is confronted by Edith Keeler, um, Gary Mitchell, and his dead brother Sam, which I loved the fact that they drew Sam to be Shatner with a mustache. Yes, <laughs> a shat stash. Yeah, that was really cool. Where he, you know, he's confronted by these guys where they they make him basically examine himself and take a hard look at himself and realize you know the choices he made he's made and where his uh where his life is is leading and that sort of thing and then one of my favorite sequences of the whole book is when kirk snaps out of his yes, dream i knew you would love this part <laughs> this is great this is ass kicking kirk and it's yes. beautifully drawn i mean he's he's re- he really Boop goes to the head his- first thing yeah he boots two aliens in the head and then he whips out his phaser and just starts mowing people down but it's I mean, it's not just wanton violence, but it's very realistic for how Kirk was portrayed in, you know, the series and the movies. But it's really good. And, you know, it comes down to a classic Mexican standoff of, you know, release me and my friends or I'll phaser your ass right here. So they all end up making, you know, they come to an understanding, kind of make friends at the end of the thing. And we get to the end of the story where Kirk basically has to answer um answer tomorrow you know give him an answer about the whole thing with does he or doesn't he want to uh accept his uh proposal to join the admiralty and at the end of the issue he decides he's going to do it he he calls uh Spock and McCoy, and I really like this because it takes place again in that in that lounge scene that we saw in uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And he calls them together and he tells them that he's going to step down as captain of the Enterprise, and that when they get back to Earth, he's going to accept um, Morrow's position as as you know part of the Admiralty, and that he's going to be uh, a senior teacher at Starfleet Academy. And a lot of it is because of what happened on the Yorktown that he doesn't want new people coming up to handle the situation the same way but also he's, he's, he's a control freak it's a control freak Kirk exactly. moment he does he wants to control the way he's perceived exactly and i love that because you know that is so totally Kirk. You know it really is. There's a lot of ego involved. It, it seems like of- a selfish yeah. thing or a selfless thing. I'm going to teach the children, but it's really to make sure that the kids really uh, get James T. Kirk right when they look at the history <laughs> exactly. books. And that is one of the things I really. Oh, that I'm glad that you saw the same thing in this story that I saw because. That really the writer may not even have meant to do that, but I think he probably did. But yeah, I totally yeah. I and he's all smug about he's smiling to himself at the end of it, just like yeah. 
And uh, I can't remember if it actually says here that the Enterprise is going to take... I think it does, actually, that the Enterprise is going to take the Yorktown's place. Yeah, it does. Here it is. I insisted that the Enterprise be reassigned to the Academy as a training vessel to replace the Yorktown. So I like that, that everything was, was nicely tied up. Not only why did Kirk return to the Admiralty and everything, but also why would they take the flagship and make her a training vessel? It's all neatly tied up in this story. I was so impressed with this story. I really, really was. You know, because I had always... When I thought about this story, and how would I do this story if I, if I were to write it? You know, why did Kirk, you know go back and you know what happened i had always seen it as there was something traumatic happened that that's yeah. the way i wanted the story that's to the be the only told. way it would have happened right it's the only thing that could have happened to to affect him you know and i had very much envisioned it as, as something like you know like what happened to picard with the with being assimilated by the borg and all that 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 would be this would basically be kirk's best of both worlds it wasn't quite that that far but it was similar and it was it was the story i wanted you know where where something traumatic happened to make kirk examine his himself and i I really liked this idea that it was the cadets it was them looking at him and kirk not liking what they were seeing you know, thinking that he was just, you know, uh, just a nut, you know, like he was completely reckless and irresponsible and everything and not instead what Kirk really is, was a guy who's, you know, quick witted and, and fast on his feet and things like that, that, yeah, he, he can operate very seemingly seat of his pants a lot of times. And a lot of, you know, his best moments are when he's really under pressure and kind of has to take extreme risk but at the same rate you know he's also extremely intelligent and really thinks out his options you know he's he's not quite as uh as uh oh what would the word you know like irresponsible or or reckless as, as he might first you know appear and that's what he was trying to get across to that cadet that was so let down by by meeting the real kirk but I, I really enjoyed the story a lot. I, I thought it was uh, it was very clever, very original, and I was so uh, I was really pleased to find that uh, you know that this story came out of this series because I remember when this series came out, I actually picked up the first issue of this, and I guess I need to go back and look at the whole rest of this series because this is the only other issue I've ever read besides the first one. But I did not like the first issue. I thought I would love it because it was supposed to be, you know, taking place immediately after V'ger. And these were going to tell the, you know, like the five year mission. Yeah, the five, the second five year mission. And that first issue was just terrible, you know, or so I recall it. And like I say, now I want to go back and and not only reread that, but reread the, uh, the other issues in between. But just the fact that there were only five issues leads me to believe that you know maybe it wasn't you know any good yeah. after but it's it's just ironic that the other marvel series that had come before this you know the one that you know did take place after the first movie 
kind of the same thing happened there, where there were 18 issues. Really, the only one that's a, a true standout issue was the very last issue, the 18th issue with that story where uh, where Kirk and, and Spock keep dying over and over again, remember? Yeah, that one was really good. That was a really good issue. And I felt kind of a similar vibe with this. Here it's the last issue. And they and, went out with a hurrah. And they and did. They really did. It's a it's a really good story. I like. Well, you the, know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the stuff jo- the Star Trek's John Byrne's been doing lately. Yeah, um, yeah. It, 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 the art, the 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 page with Savick in it, that actually reminds me of John Byrne's art, especially yeah. the way Savick is drawn. But it has um, the the stuff of resolving, star, you know, tying it into Star Trek Two. The only thing fault I could find with it is eh, it tied up almost too many loose ends. You know, it threw in almost every detail in there, you know, Captain Terrell and and all that. And, you know, they didn't need to do all that, you know. That's true. It, it, it was almost like it was almost like they had a checklist. And so but that's a minor quibble. You know, they could have. That's just a, maybe a, a couple few panels too many. I, I thought that basically they tied it up seamlessly and made it make sense, you know? And, uh, yeah, I was, I was, um, the, the whole part of that, you know, it was neat that they had the close encounters aliens and they kind of tied it into our alien abduction stories of now, you know, um, like we were saying before the show, I, at first, I was like, oh, I see they're playing off the Close Encounters aliens and the mothership. They even call it the mothership and stuff like that. And But then I'm like, oh, no, they're really tying this in to these being those aliens. Right. And then, I, and then I, cause at first, I was like, haha, it would be funny if, uh, if uh, we saw, you know, Richard Dreyfus show up in this. And about into like 30 or so pages in, I, I thought we just might, <laughs> you know? I was like, hey, maybe we will actually see Roy Neary uh, show up. And, right. and this was a this was a like a forty one page comic, and it was a really quick read. I just ate it right up. I, I love it. The art's beautiful. The yeah. art is crisp and clean. I love the way the ships and the insides of the ships are drawn. It's 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 pretty much dead on all the time. You know, not you know a lot of times you get like some uh, artists everything's you know either way too much space or way too little space or out of proportion and uh the color i i I love the the color in it is is awesome it feels like the inside of the enterprise i really like it It has it has uh, compared to other star trek comics this one has a more motion picture feel to it you know what i mean it's drawn very carefully it's it's um yeah, it's just it's just very well executed. Lots of good Kirk. And and the main storyline is almost incidental to all the stuff that happens around it, you know. The main storyline reminds me of one of the John Byrne where it's like, "Oh, this could go into a battle and then it just sort of resolves." You know, they figure out what's going on and then everybody's like, oh, "Okay, we're good," you know, and Right, it, t- it takes a little different direction than it seems it's going to take, and that that was what really reminded that whole middle section with the mothership, which it, you know it's sort of like a preamble, the mothership, and then what happens afterwards. That whole middle section totally reminded me of those 
I want more John Burns Star Trek. Yeah, me too. But I did. I really liked this because I, I thought the, I thought this, you know, not only like like you said, not only was the story just fantastic, but the art is beautiful. I mean, this is one of the few times I can ever remember where I feel like every character looks mm-hmm. like the character. I mean, Kirk looks great in this. Oh, his body language, you know, the way he, like, you know, the way he talks with the, the, the every, all, all the characters' body languages are represented here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, even Sulu, there's, there's just things about the way George Takai held himself or would, or when he was talking or doing something and, and they, yeah, they get it completely right. And the dialogue you know, getting Kirk's dialogue when Kirk's dialogue is done right, you can hear Shatner delivering it, and it, yep. and it's pitch perfect in here. Spock's and Kirk's, all, all of them, especially the big three, all their dialogue is pitch perfect. Very I pleased it with was, it. Yeah, I was too. I thought it was really good. Guys, Please definitely somebody seek this start out. making some CG Star Trek and like doing stuff like. <laughs> wouldn't you love to see like a CG like? You know stories like this. You know from this time period, or oh, yeah, or or you know between. Oh, just all the in between. You could just all the in between. Somebody do a Star Trek CG called Star Trek In Betweens. Fill in all the spaces in between all the Star Trek shows with stories. Do it now. I would like that. I I would I would just like I would like to see more uh, more comics like this. It's it's such a shame that this was the last issue of this because if it had gotten this good or you know had achieved this level, then it's a shame it got canceled after just five issues because this was really this was really something. Well, this, this one goes the kind in of Star, our Star Trek, Trek like. comics. Yeah, this goes into Star Trek comics Hall of Fame for me. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I hope you guys liked that uh, that little diversion from the regular Star Trek comics. We'll, we'll more than likely get back into the, the regular uh, DC ones next time around. In the meantime, uh, I did have a little request out there. Uh, you know, for one thing, be sure to uh, you know to visit our website, um, twotruefreaks.libson.com, where you can uh, see all the other uh, stuff that Chris and I are involved with, as far as uh, as well as you know all the other. Uh, Sad and pathetic people that uh, take <laughs> participate in the shows that we uh, put out on the thing. Also, check out our forum, which you can find at forumforgeeks.com. But what I really wanted to uh, to put out the plea for is, you know, if if you like our show, you know, if you enjoy what we talk about, you know, whether it's this one or Star Wars Monthly Monday, Comics Monthly Monday, anything that we do, you know. Take a moment as you're listening to the show, you know, go to your uh, your social networking site of your choice, you know, whether it's, you know, Facebook or Twitter or that new Google thing or whatever, and just mention, you know, that you're listening to an episode of our show, you know, just, you know, just a quick little mention of, hey, listening to Two True Freaks, you know, episode whatever, or, you know, Star Trek Monthly Monday number 34 or whatever, because, you know, word of mouth. Tell your grandma. <laughs> You know, it's still the best way to let other people know about our show, and uh, and you know we really appreciate you know that if you help us grow our listenership. You know, we're just yep. trying to to spread. I think the word we're almost a hundred percent word of mouth right now, so you yep. know, yeah, we might as well stick with that. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, talk us up to your to your friends and family and your enemies. enemies. <laughs> yeah. 
Just uh, let folks know about uh, about Two True Freaks. Let them know what you're listening to. We appreciate well, it. Before we go, we have one more piece of business. <gasps> we and do. And that is figuring out what the hell we're going to... And this is where it becomes... It goes, it's going to become more comedic as time goes on because <laughs> we're going to be going, oh, we did that one before, we yep. did that one before because we're getting, you know, each time we get more and more. But it's time to fire up the old Star Trek computer and random number all generator. Right. And, you know, we could be all professional and edit all the stuff out, but we'll let you experience our process. <laughs> all right. It's going to spit out a number. It is saying number 28. Number 20. Oh, my God. Number 28 is. Is it, is it one we haven't done? It is one we have not done. And wow. On the I've first actually, try. I have actually been chomping at the bit to do this one. This Uh-oh. is. The city on the edge of forever. There you go. Oh, great one. A great episode. We might, you know, I'm going to throw out the suggestion now, but we'll see how it, we'll see how it comes. But we might even want to forego like the comics on that one and do an extra long. Oh, yeah. On that one, because I think for this one, I might even try to scare up the. Uh, I've never read the original Harlan Ellison script, so I'm gonna try and see if I can't find myself a copy of that, and read the you know the original Harlan Ellison script for it with the, with the drug dealer on the Enterprise and. Oh, I would uh, I would be opposed to uh, a, a, a select guest or two. Yes, being brought in on that. I'm one sure as well. there's. I'm sure there's people interested. You know, I'm sure this is amongst many. You know, this is. I mean, Trouble with Tribbles was always the popular, like most awesome Star Trek. But this was always. This has always been held up as the the best written and most dramatic and just generally high quality Star Trek ever. And well, it's I hard to argue. Was- I realize we still have a good number of episodes to to go yet, you know, in our in our full review of the series and all the episodes, but you know, just in what we've done so far and looking back and then thinking ahead to other ones that we still have to do, I'm I'm going to just go ahead and, and venture a guess and say that this one's still going to hold up as my personal favorite episode. Favorite episode, you know, because, you know, as far as well, you know, I, I have a sentimental favorite that I know you do as well. With, with you know, <laughs> yeah, that's just what I. You know, completely different reasons, but I mean, if you if you're taking just you know, ser- you know, being serious for a of moment, like what Star was Trek- the best one? Yeah, right. Yeah, if there was I, one Star Trek episode that you were going to burn all the other episodes and have one saying right. this is Star Trek, it would probably be this one. Yes. Yeah. Because it is, it's it's a it's a classic story. It's, it's a Harlan great Ellison. Yeah, it really is something. So yeah, I'm look. I'm really looking forward to this one. Because I'm, you know, I'm kind of tired of of sucky ones. <laughs> <It seems like laughs> well, we've, had, we've had several kind of you know just meh ones in a row. So I'm I'm ready for a really good yeah. one. Yeah. But we've been having a good run of people going crazy ones, and we're not going to break that run on this one. This one has <laughs> one of the. This is the one where DeFor- DeForest Kelly finally gets to go fucking apeshit, batshit crazy. So, <laughs> so look forward to that. Here's a little sneak preview. Murderers, assassins. <laughs> so there you go. Murderers, assassins. Next time on Star Trek Monthly Monday.
I'm just, actually that was sort of the next generation voice that I was doing. <laughs> Which make sure after you've listened to this, if you haven't listened to it before you listen to this, and to listen to your Star Trek Next Generation monthly Monday. Do it now and drink your space milk. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.